This is our last week of diving into Ephesians, and um, and so I hope, it's been, I hope for those of you who've been able to engage it every week or most of our weeks, been listening online, involved in small groups. I'm hoping and praying this has been a really good season for y'all um, of really diving into the words of Paul, obviously uh, speaking on behalf of Jesus, just in the heartbeat of of what it looks like for us to be the church, to do church, to do life together. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we've looked at the resources of God's strength. I want to say that phrase again, the resources of God's strength that are available for us in the spiritual battle we face every day, right? The idea was simple. In the last couple of weeks, there are, we must believe as truth the resources available to us uh, for in doing so, we'll defeat the lies of the enemy. This is the idea, right? That there are the lies of the enemy that we face literally every day. And here's the problem about the lies of the enemy. You just think it's your thoughts. Like we live in the context of like, well, I'm just a, I'm just a worry wart. And that's just not true, right, in the eyes of God. You've not been designed. If you're designed in the image of God, he doesn't worry, or if he doesn't ever get overwhelmed. So we live life. doesn't mean we don't have moments of being overwhelmed, but living life overwhelmed. Or if I live this life of fear, everything is colored in fear. Someone tells us, and all of a sudden fear just kind of rears its head. We have to ask ourselves, was, is that, does that define the life of Jesus? No, it does not. And so, so we don't then live in guilt of like, well, I'm just not like Jesus. No, what it's saying is, is Paul's coming and saying, no, no, then you're in a battle. And that's all I want to say is like, you're in a battle. These things that are defining your life, that are not who you've been designed to be in your image, the image of Christ, those are not who you've been designed to be. Therefore, there is something, there's an alternative to that. And the first place to begin is naming the lie that the enemy has fed you that this is who you are and will be forever. And so I'm hoping in the last couple of weeks that you've begun this journey, maybe, of, of into truth. Well, what is... Like, I say this about me, when, and, we, and the enemy says this about me, but I wonder, who does the Lord say that I am? And so that's the idea of engaging the resources of God's strength. We've been saying for the last couple of weeks, right? We must believe as truth the resources available to us in Christ. That's what Paul was doing. Like, there's no more relevant message that we've named in the last couple of weeks of defining your life and your spiritual walk and the life that you're living with Jesus. Paul comes and says, listen, you're not, because when he says you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, what he's really saying is your primary wrestling is not the things of this world. That's what he's saying. Right. It's not just people, but things of the earth, things of the flesh, things of people, things and things that, the, that people have created. No, he's saying your primary battle, the thing that you're wrestling against every day of your life is a spiritual thing. And so we have to be spiritually awakened, spiritually alive, spiritually relevant in the context of our lives to recognize, oh, that's not God's best. That does not look like the life that Jesus lived. And we then live in the tension of that, don't we? Like, well, that's just always how I've been. And maybe, I mean, I just really question God's goodness then. 
And we live in this tension, this wrestling match back and forth and people praying for us and going to seeing counselors and going getting prayer ministry and all of these things. And, and all of those things are healthy and good. But what Paul's coming in the moment is saying, it just begins with you recognizing the truth and then giving your life every day to thinking and meditating and focusing on the truth of Jesus, because the only way you begin to break down lies is just grabbing hold of, diving into, and never letting go of the truth of who Jesus is. Do you believe that he is winning? And do you believe that he is stronger than whatever you would name? And when you feel that pull of like, I do, but, you start with the but. But Jesus, I give you the but, right? And that's where we begin. Because the but is this thing, but, Jesus, I know in my mind that you're stronger than. Help me be awakened to your truth. I celebrate the belt of truth that's around me. I thank you that you have put on my heart protector with your righteousness. Your blood covers me, Jesus. I thank you, God, for my salvation. You saved me. You went into the enemy's camp. You set me free. You died for me. But then you made a mockery of the enemy by being raised from the dead to let everybody know that you're stronger. Y'all. If you don't see the battle, it's for your life. The, listen, the stronger, this is not on my notes. This is so good, Lord. Thank you, right? It's like if, the, if you're not, if your battle is big right now, you feel the battle, mm, guess who fears you? Guess who fears you? Guess who sees something in you that maybe you don't fully see yet? If his name is the enemy, he's like, oh, man. Randall, Mm, she's dangerous. Mm -mm. All right, Mm -mm. I got to do something. You're dangerous. You're powerful. Not because of you, right? Remember Ephesians 1 through 3, all because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you, who can do more than you could ever dream or imagine because he's in you. And so Paul wants to begin to name these lies of the enemy. And our weapons, we named the last couple of weeks, and we'll get back to my notes now. Our weapons, they are defensive, and they are offensive in nature. And Paul's expectation is victory. Paul's expectation is always victory in our life and then in your life individually, right? And so I encourage you for the last couple of weeks, listen to the podcast. Go back and listen to it, right? Connect this week to the last couple of weeks and, and just recognize. Just say, pray, Jesus, just awaken me to the power and the truth of the cross of Jesus and your resurrection, God. The truth and the reality, Lord, of, of your armor that's on me, not so that I run away from the enemy, right? So that I am offensive in my assault against the schemes of the enemy. Help me, Jesus, focus on you and look in my mirrors to be aware of the enemy. Don't go focus on the enemy. That's a waste of time. Who wants to look at him? Don't go on a witch hunt for the enemy. That's silly. You go on a Jesus hunt. I can't wait to find all of you. 
When you go to Jesus hunt and all you find is Jesus, guess what happens to the enemy? He just goes like this and decreases. We go on a Jesus hunt. But you know what you know what I mean, right? We're not really hunting Jesus. That's kind of awkward, right? We don't shoot Jesus. So let's dive in this morning, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to go back to verse 17 and go through 20 this morning. And honestly, we're going to look at just one primary, two primary phrases in all of these verses this morning. Starting back in verse 17. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for, for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The first thing I want you to see uh, in this language is verse 18. It says, in the Spirit. In the Spirit. I say, in the Spirit. So this idea a couple weeks ago, we talked about Paul's use of the language, a real similar language, when he says, in the Lord, from Ephesians chapter 6.10. And we said it spoke to being in relationship with the Lord. So the idea of being in the Lord or in the Spirit or in Jesus or in Christ, all of these phrases, right, they all mean the same thing. This idea of this intimacy, defining their relationship. So intimacy and relationship with Jesus. And so here in verse 18, Paul uses the same idea. He uses this language. Language when talking about the relationship with the Holy Spirit. So to be in the Spirit, it speaks to a relationship of intimacy with God, the Holy Spirit, where we live with a, listen, where we live with a primal urge or desire to know God and an awareness of God's imminent presence with us and in us at all times in every situation. I'm going to read it more slowly. I want you to look at the screen when I read it. I want you to let these words sink in because, hear me, how do we get from where the enemy in the battle, the butt, to all of a sudden a breakthrough? It's right here. To be in the Spirit. It speaks to a relationship of intimacy with God, the Holy Spirit, where we live with the primal urge. Do you know what I mean when I say primal? It's like, it's like, that, right? A primal urge or desire to know God and an awareness, right, of God's imminent presence with us and in us at all times in every situation. This is the idea of being in the Spirit. That's right. This idea to, to talk about praying in the Spirit is then useless unless we first get a grasp of living in the Spirit. Because I don't know about you, but prayer in my own strength doesn't get me very far. In fact, it tires me out and gets boring. But prayer in the Spirit is something different. So if I'm going to pray, then I better be in the Spirit or ultimately to produce this great breakthrough that Paul is desiring in the context of our lives. So with that in mind, give me grace this morning. I'm going to build an analogy to understand the thought behind Paul's teaching of being in the Spirit. I'm going to say this. Every analogy to make a spiritual principle falls flat somewhere. So don't talk to, don't email me where it falls flat. Just engage my heart behind the analogy, okay? So when I live, listen, before, when I was single, right, back in the day, when I was single, I lived my life primarily aware of how decisions I was going to make would affect myself. And I didn't do this in a selfish sense. I just didn't need to get anyone's input on where I need to eat, 
where I needed to work and where I needed to live, right? How late I wanted to stay up and where I wanted to go on vacation. I just by nature would make decisions based on what I wanted to do, what I felt like was best for me. And I felt like in the moment was the best thing, right? And there was actually nothing wrong with that. The idea and nature of being single is you make decisions based on what is best for you. That's this place of self, right? But then I met Randall and we got married and, and, and wonderfully, right, everything changed. Because every decision I made now, I desired her input because every decision that I would make would impact her and me together, us together, right? Therefore, I didn't just make decisions based on what I wanted, what I thought, but instead I wanted to take time to ask her opinion, listen to her response, and then make decisions based on what was best for both of us. Let me tell you this. This was a learned thing. It didn't come natural. By nature, I had done most, listen, I've done 20, 27, 28 years of my life single. It wasn't this immediate shift that when I got married, I immediately grafted into my thinking and my thought life what she was thinking and feeling and experiencing in the moment. It took me time with, I would do things, she'd go, hmm. And I knew what that meant. It meant she wasn't happy. It meant I just done something. I'm like, oh, there we go again. <laughs> oh my God. Sorry, babe. <laughs> right? I mean, you know what I'm getting at? There's this life of self, and then there was this life of marriage. There was a life of making decisions just based on what I was thinking and feeling and wondering the moment versus now I got married and I desired, I chose to ultimately say, no, it's ultimately best what we are doing together. That's the nature. Right. That's the nature of relationship, intimate relationship, a desire to make decision together in all things. But here's another thing about about marriage. So we would do journeys together, like we'd go on trips together, we'd go places together. The first year, first year we were first two years we were married, we lived in Omaha, Nebraska. And so we'd make this 982 miles from our front doorstep to Randall's mom's front doorstep. 982 miles. We made it in like six hours. We drove fast. I'm just kidding. We did like 13 hours. And so, man, we were like, it was a long trip. And so we'd make these journeys together. And let me tell you, I remembered making journeys as a single person. I would sit there and I would go, I need to use the bathroom. So I would get off, right? I'm hungry, so I guess I'll stop now, right? Um, or, man, I'm in the mood for a podcast or a, or a radio show. Then I would shift to whatever I wanted in the moment. But and, I would, and then I would just find myself just sitting in lots of silence in those awkward moments. I'd be talking to myself, right? And so you had these moments in the journey by myself, but then everything shifted. And we got married. Like, then we'd make this journey together. And in the journey together, you know what? I was always aware that I had someone riding with me. And so it was one of those things. I was always aware of her presence, and it made the trip better. We would find ourselves in moments we'd be talking. We'd be sometimes arguing. We would be laughing. Sometimes we'd be sitting in silence. But even in silence, guess what? I was just confident that she was still with me. Right there, right? I knew her presence with me. When we talk about ready to say, hey, what do you want to listen to? Hey, do you need, are you hungry? Hey, do you need to use the restroom? There's this whole dynamic of understanding that in my journey, I was always aware of her presence and whatever we were doing together, it required us making decisions together. And so when we talk then about this idea of, of being in the spirit, 
It speaks to a life in the same way lived aware at all times of God's presence, of his interests, his desires, his longing, and ultimately use the phrase we use is his will. But here's the beautiful thing that, I mean, if you know Jesus and you've related to him, even in the context of his will, he doesn't sit down and lord over. He sits down and converses with us about what he's doing and why. Now, sometimes he just puts his foot down and says, this is how it's going to be. I'm like, fantastic, right? But it's the nature of doing life with him. In all my journeys, I live aware of his presence with me at all times, talking with him, arguing with him, laughing with him. And then sometimes just being silent with him and living with the confidence that at all times and all things, I am never by myself. Let me kind of go to a difficult moment. I've told the story before, but when my mom passed away, right? I'll never forget, just in my, I, was in, I was still in college at the time. I'll never forget sitting in my college, my college room. It wasn't a dorm. I lived in an apartment. But I remember sitting in my room, and I'm like, God, you feel so far away. And I'm like, where are you? I feel so alone. And then I'm like, ah, where are you, God? And I, I'm going to tell you. All of a sudden, like, God just, I can't even explain it, but gave me this, like, understanding. Like, he spoke into the moment. He made his presence known in the moment. As in, so clear as if he was riding in the car, the type of thing with Randall, right? And, and in the moment, he just said, I feel like he just spoke. And, and again, I'm just kind of paraphrasing what I felt in the moment. But it was as if God saying, my presence is different in mourning because I don't speak as much as I just want to hold you. In that moment, I'm like, yes, because I'm so tired of talking to people. I just want your presence. I want to rest in the confidence that when I feel like death, you are simply with me, supporting, loving on, holding, encouraging, and just being with me. And so when we talk about his presence, so often we wrestle on these moments of being alone. And I'm saying, I've just learned the moment that I feel most alone as if God's distant. He's probably just trying to express himself in a different way that's just so near. Like, you know, when, like, in, you know how when you're like covered with something, you're not even aware you're covered. It's like, man, it's dark all of a sudden. Why is it so dark? Like, oh my gosh, you've just taken your wing. You've wrapped me in it. And so it's completely dark. You've just brought me in. This is the darkness of your beauty wrapping me up like a blanket in the moment to express your love, to protect me from everything outside. And so in this moment, I have confident awareness. I have confident awareness and an intentional focus on his presence. I have a confident awareness of an intentional focus on his presence, and as I experience that's a sign of how well that we're living in the Spirit. Like, do I have a confident awareness of an intentional focus on his presence? Just like my relationship with Reynolds, I travel through life, and all things, I'm constantly aware of the relationship I'm in with Jesus, how every decision I make, the direction I go at all times, takes into account the heart of God, his will for my life, the conversation that we have in the midst of it, or his silent protection of me in difficult moments. How aware, listen, how aware do we live in every moment of God's presence in life? And that's what Paul's getting at. He's saying it begins with being in the Spirit. 
confident in his intimacy, aware of his presence, the knowledge of his love for us in the middle of the hell that we're going through. He prepared, remember, it's the language of Psalms. He prepares a table, a place of intimacy, a place of relationship, a place of lying down on his breast like John did, right? And sitting there in banquet in the presence of what? Our enemies. In the context of the schemes of the enemy, in the midst of hell breaking loose against you. He wants you to know his presence. He wants you to know his presence. He wants you to live aware every moment of his presence in your life. That, listen, that's what belongs to you. That's what belongs to you right now. You don't have to go earn it. You don't have to go earn it. Don't earn it. Just go, Jesus, yes. <laughs> right? It's a gift. You've been trying to get, yes, I, I, Yes. Like this, right? I mean, it's okay. Like little kids, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do that with Jesus. I don't get mad at my kids. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, this is so awesome. My kids get excited about their gifts. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can't wait to give it to you, right? It's your gift. So once we answer this question of how we're doing, living every moment of God's presence in my life, confidence in that, I believe then we can begin looking at praying in the context of the Spirit. Praying in the context of this intimacy. For Paul, prayer is a powerful tool. It's a weapon in the same way as every other weapon that's been named in Ephesians chapter 6, right? Paul so believes in it that he tells them, listen, you need to be in prayer at all times. And now listen, and I want you to pray for me. Like Paul's not going to ask people to do something if he doesn't think it's ultimately powerful and produces something of power. He's coming to them and saying, listen, I need you to pray for me, right, so that boldness can flow because it's really difficult to do what I do. Paul so believed, so he simply said he expected prayer to be a primary tool for breakthrough in life. So, when speaking to the church at Philippi, he gave a similar message when he said this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says this on the screen, Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, just let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, some of you need to take a picture of that. You need to look at it every single day and, and recognize the simple takeaways and effective prayer life is this. Prayer in the Spirit, it will relieve anxiety in the battle. That's what it's saying here. Hey, don't be anxious because you have prayer. Don't worry. You have prayer, so you don't have to be anxious about anything. Prayer is going to be effective. Number two, prayer in the Spirit brings peace that you can't understand. So a prayer life that God wants to, that Paul's talking about, that God wants to birth up inside of us, man, is it, it literally is the tool that brings about peace and prayer in the Spirit. It then guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Basically, if you combine a couple of thoughts, the prayers and prayer produces the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation to guard our minds. Those things are expressed in that place. Why do you think that we talk about prayer all the time in the church? Because of this. It is the most powerful tool that we have of building self up, building church up, and combating the works of the enemy. Why do you think the enemy has worked so hard to make prayer all about religion and to make it boring so nobody wants to do it? Prayer here, man, is real simple. Why don't you be in the Spirit and communicate, and then you just talk? 
Because when you talk to people that you're intimate with, you get passionate, you get sad, you get honest, right? It's just there. And so prayer is huge for Paul. Looking at the language I use with Randall, Paul's idea is clear. We are to live, listen, we are to live aware of the Spirit's presence at all time, aware of his desires, his longings and thoughts. And even in times we are, when we are silent, when he seems silent, I live confident of his presence with me. I remember a place in my life where all of a sudden I stopped freaking out that I didn't feel God. It's 20 years old. And I remember going, oh, it's like, obviously I prefer to feel God, but if I don't, it's not that big of a deal because he told me he would never leave. So I'll just be confident he's always with me. So I'll never have to worry because I'm never alone. I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's kind of life changing. From 20 to the, from 20 years old to today, I've never worried when I don't feel God's presence. It never freaks me out. It doesn't create worry because he promised he was with me and I just believe him. Now I'm aware of my sin and something that I'm doing that builds a wall up. So I go, Oh my God, is there any sin? Nope. Oh, well, then we're good then. God, you're just doing you. Okay, fine. I'm fantastic. If you're okay, then I'm okay. I'm not going to be worried about feeling you. I don't have to. I'm just confident of your presence with me as we drive down the road together in the journey. So prayer is huge. Prayer takes on a whole new meaning. Listen, I want you to hear this phrase. It could easily go over your head just in one ear out the other. Prayer takes on a whole new meaning if we truly engage the idea of doing it in the spirit. Because it is birthed out of confidence of his nearness to us. So Logan is speaking next week, right? You'll be blessed, right? He's awesome. Logan, this, we look at him next week and look a little bit deeper in this idea. But Romans 8 speaks about our life being birthed out of our relationship with Abba Father. So he talks about, he says, our prayer life is birthed out of our relationship with Abba Father, a very intimate, loving expression of father and child. Praying the Spirit speaks to an ongoing conversation of speaking and of listening in the context of a deep and rich relationship with a father, a perfect father, a loving father who loves everything about us. And he wants, capital W-A-N-T-S, wants to be with us at all times. Everything changes Praying in the Spirit, right? This ongoing conversation, just doing the journey of life. I'm not just thinking about self. I'm not just worried about me, but I'm thinking about Jesus, and I'm asking him questions, and I'm pondering, and I'm listening, and I'm not freaking out when we're not, when he's not talking. Sometimes in relationship, you're just silent. You're just, you're just confident in presence. With this in mind, we have to recognize that praying in the Spirit, it's deeper than a prayer life focused on me. It's more than just a prayer life of just me and Jesus. Prayer in the Spirit, hear this, involves focusing on Jesus and everything that moves his heart. Like, that's the thing about it. Like, how many of you ever spent any time with Randall? Raise your hand. Seriously, I want to see him. How many of you, I want you to give your hands raised. Just keep them raised. You can, this, is, this is confident. One of my favorite things about Randall is that she is passionate about everything. Can I get an Amen. And when you're with, no, keep him, no, keep him raised. I want Randall to see this. Because when you're with Randall, you know what she's passionate about. She lets you know. Right? Amen. 
People, you know why? People, that's great, great. Because people recognize that she loves them because she gets so passionate about the things that they care about. You put your hands down. Randall's amazing. It's her birthday this week, 16th. Write her a love letter. Tell her how awesome she is. Seriously, every single one of you on the 16th, right? She turns 29. It's amazing. Now, in the context of what I'm getting at here is this. When I'm with Randall, I know what she's thinking about. She just expresses it. And if I'm a good husband, guess what? I care about everything. Because it's important to her. So you know what that means? It is important to me. Sometimes I do a good job. Sometimes I don't. But in the context of my relationship with Jesus... He is very confident in our relationship to express the things that he is passionate about, just like Randall is with me. And I need to then make those things important also. That's the point. That's why in relationships, the most healthy relationships are the one with a level of conversation and intimacy where you actually share what you think and you feel about things. Why? Because then all of a sudden your presence has been known. We've had intimacy. We've had honesty. And so our relationship can go to a different level. And so Jesus is coming. It's not like we're in a relationship with Jesus so I can come and pray and tell him what I want. No, I sit down with Jesus in the context of the Spirit and he shares his ideas and his dreams and his longings and his desires and his will not only for my life or those that I care about, but for everybody else. Why do you think we do foster care? Because it's easy? Do you think we love arguing with the state with stupid decisions they make over and over and over and over again? No, we do it because we were listening to Jesus. And I said, God, you have to give us an unreached people group in our community. And someone was talking. We had two couples talking about foster care. And as they began to speak, I heard God say, this is your unreached people group in your community. I heard his voice. I want you to be a lighthouse. A house where light is burst so that people look and go, they care about those who are hurting and those who are dying. They are a place that those who are marginalized can be safe and can be loved. That's on my heart, Steve. Randall, it's my heart for vintage. Okay, God, we hear you. That's overwhelming and awesome. That's how it works. That's how it works at vintage. That's how it works in your life. When's the last time you got excited about something that excited God's heart? And if it's been a while, then that's, yes, God is the gift. That's what I want. I want to get excited about things that excite you. Take time to listen. Here are the three things about this life in the Spirit and prayer in the Spirit. Number one, all of life is to be prayed. All of life is to be prayed. I'm going to name the three, then I'll come back. Number two, Paul's asking me to get the tongues here. We'll look at that in a second. Number three, praying the Spirit is contrasted with praying in the flesh. So all of life is to be prayed. What does that mean? In every moment, in everything that I'm doing, there is not a moment in life where I stop thinking about what's on the heart of God, what he's thinking. Can you imagine the moment? Well, every now and then I just take my mind off of being married. I'm just going to pretend like I'm not for a week or two over here. Would that lead me to healthy places? No. So we can't do that. We can't do that with Jesus either, right? 
We cannot live in this place. There's not a moment we're taking our attention off of God and life is healthy. Why? Because he's just smarter than we are. He's Lord over everything, which means he's in control in all things at all times. We're to be aware of God, his presence, his desires, and his leading in life, which simply means this. In every, so let's put it in language we've been using. So in every moment, I'm just aware of God's presence in the context of my journey, his thoughts, and his love, his affection, his joy, his, his happiness, all of those things. And in that, I'm going to be communicating with him as I listen in return. And it's going to be awesome. Second thing, Paul's not speaking about the gift of tongues here. That's only important for this reason. Some people interpret this specifically praying in the spirit. I mean, praying in tongues, but that's not Paul's intent in these verses or the meaning that he is trying to make. Right. Because he wouldn't tell everyone in the church to go pray in the spirit. If the gift of tongues is a gift given to some and not others. We're told in first Corinthians. So why do say so verse, those of you can speak in tongues, you go pray in the spirit. For others, I'm sorry. Right? No, he's just saying for every single person, he's talking about a lifestyle of communing intimately with Jesus and communication birth from intimacy. There's other places he talks about praying in tongues and praying the spirit that it's tongues, but not here. Specifically here in context, he's talking about you living a life of communion and intimacy with the Lord so that when you pray, when you pray, you're with the spirit. So the third part is praying the spirit's contrast with praying the flesh. Prayer and the power of the flesh relies on human ability and effort to carry the prayer forward. It's focused on personal desires only without taking time to ask Jesus what he's thinking, what he's feeling, what he's seeing in the moment. That prayer in the flesh is just be full of words that never brings peace. Prayer in the spirit always brings peace. You may not have understanding of everything, but it brings peace. You know your your prayer is in the spirit. If you're taking time, like if you're doing this, the idea is that we got to take time. So three things, three things about praying in the spirit then, right? Number one, these are practical. These are practical things, okay? Practical things. Number one, just go admit your need for Jesus, right? Go admit your need for Jesus, okay? Number so I, I, you know, I, I, here's the deal. I've been created, you've been created to live light. Listen, this is important. You have been created to live life frustrated apart from Jesus empowering you. Recognizing your frustration is important so you can admit your need for him. When I reach a point of frustration in life, that's a gift from the Lord. Because you've just hit a wall that requires Jesus to get over. So when you reach frustration, you go, oh, there's Jesus. I need him. All right, so Jesus, what's going on? Let's talk real quick. I hit it. Hit the wall. I've been doing it my own strength, right? Second thing, enjoy your intimacy with Jesus. Enjoy intimacy. You have to slow down enough to experience his presence with you. You can't enjoy the ride and the journey with Jesus if you don't take time to slow down and enjoy him. So if you're at work and you hit a wall of frustration, go, go use the bathroom in the spirit. Literally, walk to the bathroom with Jesus. This is my three minutes, Holy Spirit. I've got to, you got to, I'm, I'm, I've hit a wall and I need you to be, listen, you pray, listen, listen, remember we pray all of life is prayer, right? We pray life. The idea of everything I do, I slow down. Listen, in our world, we should slow down 10 to 15 times a day. To go experience him, to connect with him. Number three, come boldly. Come boldly in prayer because God is your perfect loving dad. Come boldly in prayer. 
So admit your need for Jesus, enjoy your intimacy with Jesus, and then come boldly. Again, our attack against the enemy, our attack against him is grounded in our ability to pray in the Spirit, to live with him in intimacy. And when we engage it, Paul's expectation is that our results will be overwhelming and powerful. Give yourself to being in the Spirit, and then give yourself to prayer in the Spirit as your ongoing daily exercise in the context of the battle that you wage every day in the power of his spirit with the expectation of every day being victorious. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for prayer. We thank you that it's powerful and effective. God, it avails much, we are told. We confess, Lord, that we've made prayer something that you never intended for it to be. But God, it is powerful. And we just ask this morning, even right now, you're going to stir something in our spirits. Even now, Lord, begin to awaken, God, maybe lies that we believed. God, I pray you'd help us to name the anger we feel this morning. Like, I don't know why I'm angry. I'm just angry. I pray you help us to name that, God. It's the, whether it's just the work of the enemy, a lie we believed, or just something we have to hand over to you and being honest with you. God, I pray you help us to be honest in that. I pray this morning, God, that you would just do a work of, like, of simply this. You just lift our chins to see what you see and for us to go, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. Lift our chins today to see truth. Lift our chins today to see breakthrough. Lift our chins today to believe victory. Lift our chins today, God, to a place of breakthrough. Lift our chins today, God, to a place where it says here in Ephesians 6, for perseverance. It's that perseverance. We're empowered by your spirit into perseverance, but it requires this perseverance. Prayer is perseverance, God. It's pressing through. It's never letting go. That's why you said, here's a lesson about prayer. Here's a persistent widow who came to an unjust judge, and she prayed and knocked and prayed and knocked and prayed and knocked and prayed and knocked until judge. finds it so annoying. And the point is saying, if, if, an, if an annoying judge... Or if a judge, a bad judge would do that, how much more, God, will you then listen as a good father for your children who come again and again and again in the context of the journey of relationship that we're in with you? So, Father, we thank you for perseverance, empowered by the Spirit into this. Pray for those who are struggling today. Let's pray, God, this gift of perseverance. That something would well up inside us. I will, by God's grace, I will not.